Hey everybody, you're listening to Angel Nears the Podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders, where founders and operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Ole Kujikov, and our guest today is Adam Jackson, a co-founder at Braintrust, a blockchain-powered, nonprofit, decentralized marketplace that connects skilled tech freelancers with enterprise clients like Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and Wayfair. We'll get into more of what all that means uh, as we talk about a better future for remote work. But before we do, Adam, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey, Oleg. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get started here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become a founder and a tech entrepreneur? Yeah, sure. So I um, started off as a software engineer. I um, started uh, writing code when I was a kid and then went to study computer science at Vanderbilt University graduated there and moved out to California to, uh, you know, join everyone else in the kind of the web one era. This is the early 2000s, um, mm. you know, when eBay was just getting started and things like that. And um, I was uh, sort of an or a, a software engineer turned entrepreneur. Um, I, I discovered web enabled marketplaces at, at a young age. My first one was a local shopping marketplace that connected local stores and their products to internet shoppers. And we were, we were actually one of the first ones to do that. Uh, and that business was acquired by Intuit. Uh, I spent a year at Intuit as a product manager uh, before starting my second also web-enabled marketplace called Driverside, which connected car owners with mechanics. So again, you're kind of seeing a theme here, connecting uh, folks with local businesses via the web. Uh, and that We grew that into a national marketplace and were acquired by Advanced Auto Parts. And then um, my third business in 2012 is called Doctor on Demand, uh, which is a, a very large video telemedicine service connecting doctors and patients for medical and behavioral health visits via video. I started that company with um, Dr. Phil, who's a popular daytime personality in the U.S. And uh, it was a blast working with him. We, we grew that from sort of a small direct-to-consumer brand into what's now the largest video telemedicine service in the, in the United States. And, um, and now I'm on to Brain Trust. Well, tell us a little bit more about how uh, you got started with Brain Trust. Uh, how, how long have you been uh, at this and maybe what gave you the idea? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I got into blockchain kind of full time in 2016, um, participated in the Ethereum crowd sale, the Binance crowd sale, really became fascinated by, you know, programmable money, essentially these Turing complete smart contracts that you could, you know, now program the the rules of a business or a marketplace into a blockchain and have them be immutable, right? They can't be changed or corrupted uh, or only changed by by a majority of the community wanting to change it. And I saw this new construct as a really interesting way of organizing people in a in in a in a web enabled marketplace, right? The, the the web two marketplaces. Think about eBay all the way up to you know the gig economy companies like Uber and DoorDash. They unlock amazing value and and bring connecting buyers and sellers, supply and demand to a whole new level. But there's one kind of dirty little secret with those, and that's um, they you know are very capital intensive to start, and therefore require lots of you know investor money, right? So the playbook is typically you raise hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. You use that money to subsidize one or both sides of the marketplace, and um, and then you, uh, if you're lucky enough to build liquidity on your marketplace, um, you then come out the other end basically an investor-owned network, and those investors, you know, very rightfully so, need a return on their capital. 
And so where does that return come from? It comes from ever increasing fees on the marketplace. So the every dollar that transacts between buyer and seller or provider, you know, dasher and, and customer um, is is taxed. And, and that tax go, you know, goes to the, to the for-profit company in the middle that operates the marketplace. And this is true from eBay to Yelp to um, Uber, um, Upwork, DoorDash, you name it. And so with the higher and higher fee, also known as a rake, what that does is it creates misaligned incentives between the people on the network who make their living there, think Dasher or um, Uber driver or web designer or uh, developer. And, you know, it creates a misaligned incentive between the, the, the provider and the entity that owns and operates the marketplace. So it, it actually erodes network effects. And so I thought, look, you know, there's got to be a better way. Having been, you know, a, a creator and an investor in so many Web2 marketplaces, I thought there's got to be a better way to do this that keeps incentives aligned between the folks who make their living on the marketplace and the folks that own it and operate it. And so that's kind of where Web3 came from. You know, as I, I call it the, the ownership economy, and this is another word for it is, is Web3 that's becoming popular now. So that, that's what got me into the space is, is sort of this, this idea that someday marketplaces could be owned and operated by their users instead of profit-seeking corporations. Can you give us uh, the elevator pitch for Brain Trust? I think you've done a really good job uh, you know, laying it out. So I think that's just the next logical question. Um, explain what you guys do. Yeah. So Braintrust is a global talent network that connects information workers with companies that need their services. To be even more specific, Braintrust has started in IT services. So think about engineers, designers, product managers, project managers, DevOps, backend folks, everyone required in building to be required to build enterprise grade software, that's who's mm-hmm. on Brain Trust. And then on the client side, as you mentioned, you know, it, it could be you know there's startups on on Brain Trust as well, building teams. But um, you know, we went after large kind of Fortune 1000 enterprises like Goldman Sachs, Nike, Porsche, Nestle, Wayfair, um, and many, many other hundreds of other brands because they have an insatiable demand for these knowledge workers. And so we, we've got the, the demand side of this equation pretty dialed in. And mm-hmm. so Braintrust is a, is a marketplace built on Ethereum that connects these folks. Now, that in and of itself is not a new business model. What is new about Braintrust is its ownership and control model. Instead of being owned by a profit-seeking corporation in the middle, it's owned by its users. And um, instead of shares of stock, there's tokens. And instead of profit, Right, extracting profit out and returning it as a dividend, Brain Trust doesn't have that 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 construct. It it actually just tr- tries to take as little fee as possible, just to cover the cost of operating the network. That way, all that value that was prior extracted by the 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 middleman, you know, the company in the middle, the Upwork Inc. or, or Fiverr Inc. or whatever, is now just returned to the users. Right. So it's it's this that's that's the whole key to Web3 is taking the value that was extracted by a middleman before and giving it back to the users that that make their living on the marketplace. And next, can you explain your mission uh, as a company? Yeah, our, our mission is pretty simple. It's to spread economic uh, opportunity more equally and fairly across the world. Um, mm-hmm. We believe talent is distributed completely evenly around the world. 
opportunity is not right opportunity has been hyper focused in at least in the united states in just a couple cities and in, in globally just a couple countries and so brain trust exists to even that out to to allow all the global talent to access all the amazing opportunity all right well i want to unpack some of the terms here can you actually go over you you've mentioned web3 a few times what is what is web3 what is web2 what's the difference yeah yeah for sure so I'll, you know starting the beginning web1 <laughs> web1 was and and we're speaking in in terms of sort of you know two like two-sided marketplaces broadly um, I, I mean, just about everything is a two-sided marketplace if you really think about it. But um, so Web One was, hey, let's just connect people online, right? Who who wouldn't have found each other otherwise? Craigslist is the best example of that, right? Nothing fancy. Someone posts, someone answers the post, transaction happens offline. Done. That was Web One. Web Two brought the um, a, a little bit better sort of merchandising of those services or products, plus an element of trust through payments and reputation. Right, so eBay, PayPal are the best example of the sort of Web two pioneers, right? Um, and then, and 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 then on down through the gig economy, where now you can get on DoorDash and you know look at a, a vetted list of restaurants and a and a really nice set of menus, and then someone who um, you know reliably works for DoorDash will will bring you the order, right? So it's a kind of a three sided marketplace. So they so Web two in, in introduced trust and in payments. Web three does all of those things, but but gives the margin from the Web2 operator back to the users, right? So Web2 takes all of the, or Web3 takes all of the genius innovations of Web1 and Web2, but takes the profit motive from the middleman away and gives that profit back to the users. That's what Web3 is all about. And you do this with, uh, with you know, with your infrastructure and the tokens. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, you use shares of stock to accomplish one mission and you use tokens to accomplish a different mission. So shares of stock are meant to, you know, they're, they're basically claims on profits, right? If you own a share of stock, you, own, you have some claim on future profits. And in marketplaces, those profits come from fees extracted from the network. Um, and it's also very hard to give millions of people in dozens of countries shares of stock. Right, it's, you have to have a brokerage account, blah blah blah. They're very non-portable. Tokens replacing shares of stock change the paradigm in the following ways. One, um, because the network exists, the, the new Web three network exists solely to serve the people that that make their living on it. The profit motive goes away. Right, so so now we don't need a dividend. We don't need because we're not extracting fees. We're not we're not taking margin away. So we don't, you don't need a share of stock anymore. Um, and two, tokens are as easily transmitted as, you know, an instant messenger or an email. And anyone with an internet connected device can possess a token and use it to vote and control a network. And so it's far more technologically portable and superior than a share of stock. And so it's not a perfect analogy, right? It's just, it's, it's an upgrade to um, how people get to connect, to supply and demand, get to connect with each other. All right. So... Thank you for explaining that. I would next like to talk about the marketplace uh, for freelance work. It's huge, right? Uh, so in the global economy, I think it's estimated there that there's about a billion or so knowledge workers 
or so-called knowledge workers. Um, freelancers account for some percentage. Uh, I have 35% here in front of me of the world's workforce. So it's a huge market. And, uh, you know, you could look at the two ways. It's either a major opportunity um, or, you know, it's also ripe. Uh, and it's also a ripe field for many players with, you know, multiple permutations of uh, the marketplace concept. So let's start here. Can you explain to me and the listeners how the freelance world is run today? And by today, let's look at that pre-pandemic because you incorporated in 2018, right? So I imagine it's been uh, affected by the pandemic. But yeah, can you explain how the, the freelance world works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So freelance knowledge work. I'm going to focus on knowledge work here and not not um, offline gig work, just just because that's where brain trust plays. Although there's a lot of similarities between them, um, freelance knowledge work has typically been highly fragmented and very asymmetric, i.e., no no price discovery. Right. So, I'll give you an example. Um, the majority of information work is done by you know, big consulting firms that sort of warehouse talent, think of like the PwCs, Accenture's, Deloitte's of the world, you know, they sort of warehouse talent and then they rent that talent out to big clients. You know, usually it's some hefty markup. We've heard anything from 2X to 5X. And so, and, and then, you know, the partners of those staffing and consulting firms, you know, keep that margin as profit, right? That's kind of the old staffing firm and consulting firm model. Labor, infant knowledge worker labor marketplaces are fairly new and very small, right? So you can think of the two big public companies are Upwork and Fiverr. Um, they play on very small jobs. So average, you know, Upwork's average job size is a couple hundred bucks. Fiverr's similar. And, you know, it's like design me a logo or, you know, go do some research on the internet for me or whatever. You, you transcribe a video for me. Very small kind of one-off jobs. Um, where brain trust plays is to liberate the bulk of the knowledge workers that are sort of stuck at these consulting firms or these tech jobs that they don't really want to be at. Um, they, you know, they're sort of told what to do and when, when to do it and where to do it from. And we just think that's just an inefficient way for both clients and talent to work in the knowledge working world. And so what Braintrust does is, is introduce this new model where you can leave your full-time job, come to Braintrust, create an account, get vetted and verify your skills and your work history, which the community actually does as part of the function of the network and the community earns tokens for doing that. And then once you're verified with your selected set of skills, you can bid on work and, and do big, ongoing, incredible jobs that you can actually make a living and, and you know, pay your rent and buy your food with. So, you know, give you, I'll give you a few stats here. So the average job size on Braintrust is now $76,000. Average duration is something like 224 days. So this is not like, hey, you know, spend two hours editing this podcast. It's, hey, build this, you know, giant backend bank software for Goldman Sachs or write me a product spec for the next um, version of the dashboard software that Porsche is going to use. These are actual jobs that are ongoing on Braintrust. And so what this allows knowledge workers to do is sort of unbundle out of corporate America and make money, usually better money, on their own terms without paying some Web2 marketplace rake, right? Because Braintrust has a zero rake to the talent. Let me pause there. That was a lot of new stuff there. <laughs> I don't want to get too far off, off course from your, your question. Yeah, no, it was really good. I wanted to actually skip ahead. I think it's really interesting 
that was a lot of new information. I, I want to ask, how has this been affected by the pandemic? What have you seen from that? Yeah, great, great question. And it's it's a logical sort of you know next step to this point is I'll tell you. So we started Brain Trust before the pandemic when there was, you know, certainly already a war for talent. So all corporations are basically competing for the same talent. Um, and so in, unless you're a Google, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon type of company, you know, you're probably losing the war for talent. And so we proposed Brain Trust as, hey, a lot of these people are actually leaving corporate America and they prefer to freelance because of all the freedom, et cetera. So they're on brain trust. So we seeded brain trust with several hundred of these folks just from our own network. And so, you know, we would pitch to Nestle was our, the first big customer on brain trust. Hey, Nestle, you can't, you can't really get these people full time at your offices. Um, so why not use this, you know, distributed work service called brain trust uh, marketplace to find these folks. And they were, you know, they're like, yeah, you got a lot of nods around the room. and um, But there was still this pre-COVID, this sort of anachronistic thinking around, you know, if we're going to pay people a lot of money, we should really like have butts and seats and they should be using our laptops and sitting in our cubicles. And, you know, it was um, it was it was a tough hill to climb. And um, and so then COVID, the, the pandemic hit, the lockdown hit and, you know, it just the whole world changed in April of 2020. And all of a sudden, remote work went from a nice to have to the new normal for everyone overnight. And so that was just, you know, that was a, a very unfortunate uh, event, obviously, um, very sad uh, event. But, you know, a silver lining was the, the whole way knowledge workers work changed forever and irreversibly. So Brain Trust's model happened to be sort of in the right place at the right time for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you're talking about this, the whole the only thing I can think of and is this whole idea of a great resignation, right? People want to move out of their corporate jobs and find something else. This seems almost like the perfect thing for that. So let me skip to a question I have for later in the interview here. Like, why is now the right time for brain trust? Yeah, great question. And the great resignation piece is just another tailwind for this model of, of distributed work. Talent has sort of the the stronger position in the marketplace these days. There is a shortage of talent of all varieties. And um, and so talent can be a little more specific about their demands and what, what, that, what works for them. And what works for them, it turns out, is working when they want, from where they want, at uh, in a rate that is um, suitable for them and um, not being dragged into an office. And so that is part of, I think, what's fueling the great resignation is there's now people can freelance, right? Like, and, and the tools are all there. Zoom is amazing. Asana is amazing. Google Docs is awesome. Like it's never been easier or frankly, vi- as viable as it is now to be, you know, a, a sophisticated knowledge worker, you know, and, and never physically see your colleagues. Uh, and so all these trends mixed together gives you, you know, what we're seeing right now. I like that you approach this. I'm, I'm sure you approach it from multiple angles, but you know you're definitely putting a lot of thought into you know what freelancers are seeing, what what they have to deal with, their side of the equation, kind of the supply side, I guess, in this uh, in this market, right? <laughs> so talk about the key challenges that freelancers face before your solution, right, in, in the market today. Sure, a, a couple of them. So the you know one of them was like 
sort of displaying your skills and provable work history. I think LinkedIn actually does a reasonable job of this now, but you know, but some of the other talent marketplaces, like your work history on Upwork is actually Upwork's intellectual property, as crazy as that sounds. So that is the opposite of portable, right? So your jobs, the jobs you've done on, on Upwork, that, that, that does not translate anywhere else. It is inside their walled garden. That's rather unfair. Um, but but mo the bigger problem, though, if you ask any freelancer, is how you how do you find a steady stream of work of gigs? And like you know, this is what this is the magic that the gig economy companies brought to the to that labor force is, you know, you can't be a freelance delivery guy without an Uber or or a DoorDash, right? It brings the demand. Brain Trust brings the demand for knowledge worker for working freelancers or teams, right? There's we also have small agencies and th things like that. Um, because here's the thing, if you're a developer, a designer, a product manager, a project manager, a DevOps engineer, you don't want to spend half your time writing proposals and pitching and marketing yourself. You know, I mean, that's like running a small business, um, you know, is, is a lot of overhead of just generating demand that isn't involved in actually doing the work you love doing. Right. And so a great marketplace will bring you the demand. And so um, that's what that's brain trust core value prop to talent is we'll bring you this endless, literally endless stream of, of economic opportunity from these amazing Fortune 1000 clients that need your skills and will pay you good market rates for your time and skills. Oh, and brain trust is a it's a set of smart contracts on Ethereum. It doesn't it's not a profit seeking corporation. It doesn't need to take as much of your income as pos as as it can and return it to shareholders. Right. So um, you know, there's your one two punch there for talent. Yeah. So what you're saying is like freelancers on your platform should make more money based on that like uh, decreased margin, right? They absolutely do. They they make more money because they're keeping a hundred percent of their of their uh, hourly wage. Okay. Next, talk about the ownership economy. You know, I was reading around a few of your blogs and, and this term came up. What is it? And, and talk about, uh, you know, why the way we work today is, is broken. So the, the ownership economy is a, a term that, that I came up with years ago. And then um, one of the great investors in the space, Jesse Walden from Variant Fund, who's also an investor in Brain Trust, um, he started using it as well. And it, it based, it just, it just means it's, it's the user-owned economy or the ownership economy. They're basically synonymous. It just means networks that bring supply and demand together that are super valuable are owned by their users instead of for-profit corporations, right? So imagine you know, Uber, instead of being owned by Uber Inc., is just owned by its drivers. And the more you drive and the more reputation you, you rack up, the more five-star ratings you get the more ownership and control over Uber you have, right? And there was no like surge pricing being taken by Uber Inc. and then returned to shareholders as dividends. Now all that goes away. It's just a, a network owned by the riders and the drivers and the software is well-written and everything works. And you've, you've it, the, the rides just got cheaper and more money goes to the drivers and it can be market driven. So the surge pricing is a little, makes a little more sense. So I just get all the middleman BS out of the way and let the users who make their living in or rely on that network own and control it. That's what the ownership economy means. So where does Braintrust fit in, fit in that model? Braintrust is an ownership economy marketplace for knowledge workers. It is It connects knowledge workers with clients that need their services 
and it does so in a minimally fee extractive way. And what's the what's the incentive there? Oh yeah, what well, my personal incentive? Yeah, so I am not brain trust. I'm Adam. <laughs> I'm a I'm one of the the dorky developers that helped build brain trust. Uh, I, I'm a um, sort of an ideologue <laughs> of, of the, uners- the the ownership economy. Um, what's in this for me personally? I I run one of the nodes on brain trust that brings business to the network. Um, and when you do that, you earn tokens and, and, uh, we're a software development firm. So, you know, that the nodes, the, the folks that make their living on brain trust, very much for profit entities, brain trust itself is the nonprofit, right? So it's almost like if you go back to the Uber analogy, those drivers, they are for profit, right? <laughs> they got to pay rent. They got to eat the, the, if we, when we have a user owned version of Uber software, that software itself is, is the nonprofit. So that's the distinction there. It's owned by users and not by greedy stakeholders. Sorry, not greedy stakeholders. I'm sure they're wonderful, but. Well, there's nothing wrong with greed, right? I mean, we have pl- plenty of people who, who you know, software developers or designers or product managers on Brain Trust who make hundreds of dollars an hour and, you know, work really hard and make lots of money because they're providing tons of value for clients whether there's greed involved there is irrelevant, right? Greed is not inherently bad. What I'm saying is when a corporation in the middle operates a marketplace and its job is to take as much money from its users as possible, you have misaligned incentives. And so the whole point of Web3 is to realign incentives. I see. I see. Okay. Thank you. that, That made a lot of sense. And I think the misaligned incentives piece is what I was missing. Talk about you know this compared to the other solutions in the marketplace. What are some of the challenges that BrainTrust helps its users with? Uh, you know, both freelancers and the corporations. What do they what do, what do they do better than the other alternatives? Yeah, there's a few things. Well, um, one obviously is the the obvious economic benefits, right? So, BrainTrust charges a zero percent fee to talent and a flat ten percent fee to clients, which is far lower than say Accenture billing out a developer at 2x their hourly rate, right? So you have immediate cost savings, as we've been talking about for the last you know 20 minutes. The second thing would be transparency. So um, one of the requirements that the Brain Trust Network um, levies on talent is that anyone doing work for the client, any individual needs to have their own account. And so it's you know, a lot of times you'll see agencies bid out work and they'll say, hey, we did the mobile app for Nike right? The, the iOS app. And then they bid the client work and the client get, you know, awards the contract and then says, Hey, okay, we want the, 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 the girl who did the woman who did the Nike app. We want her. <laughs> and the agency says, Oh yeah, sorry. She left like two years ago. Um, and so you don't, you don't know who's doing the work, right? And so you're paying crazy markups and you have no idea who's doing the work. So another thing brain, brain trust really attempts to, um, enforce in this, um, in this marketplace is transparency. Who's actually doing the work? And then that person can get credit for the work on the Brain Trust Network and um, accrue uh, reputation herself instead of you know it all going to some nameless uh, agency that she works for. The technology piece is so interesting, but I, I'm trying to understand really how, how does the does the blockchain piece fit into that? You know, uh, the transparency of these contracts and who worked on what? Like, is that recorded on blockchain, or, or where does it fit in? Yeah, good question. You know, I, I always think like 
blockchain is so technically complex and a lot of the story of blockchain has been around its amazing cryptography and censorship resistance and and um, security profiles. Um, I would say in Web3, it, the tech is not the interesting part. It's it's the new incentive systems, the new ownership and control models. That's what's interesting. So to answer your question directly, Oleg, um, these things, some of these things can and should be recorded directly to the blockchain. So they're immutable, right? So no one can can steal it or override it. Um, and other things just don't matter, right? A lot of the matching from talent to clients, like a lot of the sophistication of the marketplace actually just doesn't need to be on a blockchain, right? It's just that part doesn't matter. Now, token balances, who who's earned tokens, um, how many of them they have, um, what do they vote on for, you know, upgrades to the protocol, all the governance, that stuff, you know, can and should be on chain, right? So it's just, just depends on which piece you're talking about. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into the the, the voting because that's such an interesting part of it. But let's start here. Now, now let's dive into brain trust and we'll start you know, with the people behind it, you know, you've kind of told us a little bit about yourself, but who did you co-found Braintrust with and what's the origin story of, of starting it? Yeah, I, I co-founded the network with uh, a friend of mine named Gabe Luna Ossoseski. Gabe is a, uh, a, a another kind of um, very experienced Web2 marketplace builder, um, has built in, and sold many successful businesses in the space. Um, and so we shared a passion for sort of fixing all of the misaligned incentives from Web2. We're just two people working on this thing, though. So many tens of thousands of people have joined this mission over the last few years. And they're largely people like us, people who prefer to work on their own, freelancers, people who don't really, you know, who kind of reject corporate America and don't don't want that lifestyle and don't think that, you know, corporate web two middlemen should be taking, you know, 30, 40, 50% of, of every transaction they play a party to a host to, you know, in the form of a fee. So it's, it's kind of a movement, right? It's like, you know, if software ate the world, famously, Mark Andreessen said software ate the, is eating the world, blockchain is eating the middleman. And so that's sort of like, you know, I, I, I am a, you know, modest co-founder in this marketplace, but I really think all of the early thousands of early people here are, you know, really deserve co-founder status as well. And you mentioned that the governance is controlled somewhat by the tokens. So can you talk about that? How does talent control the governance? Why, why is this an important part of your, uh, what do you call it? A system, an organization, your business? I don't know. Yeah, it's a network. So um, I'll sort of say old way, new way, just to keep it simple. So old way, corporation decides all the rules, right? And corporations controlled by the management team and essentially by the shareholders or the board of directors, all kind of the same. Um, that is top-down, centrally controlled hierarchy. Uh, easy to make decisions. One person can typically completely control an economy. Mark Zuckerberg's the best example of that, <laughs> right? Um, and, and corporate governance is kind of a joke, right? You could like you could vote your, sh- your Facebook shares, but it wouldn't matter because only one person's Facebook shares matter, and that's Mark's. Uh, most tech companies are arranged that way. They call it dual class voting. Um, that's old way. New way. Um, this, the the rules of the business are written into smart contracts. Those smart contracts can only be changed and upgraded by a majority of token holders voting to change them. Who gets the tokens? The users who built the network and make their living there. So it's the, it's almost the opposite of a corporate structure. 
So let me give you an example to, to sort of elucidate the difference between these structures. In And these are it's a, a classic marketplace example. In 2019, this is not hypothetical, by the way. This, is, this actually happened, and the New York Times covered it. In 2019, DoorDash rolled out a tipping feature where consumers, people who order food, could tip the dasher, the person who brought the food. Um, in the, at, they ran it for about a year. And at the end of 2019, they decided, you know what, we're going to, we need the money. We're going to keep all of those tips and book them as revenue for the corporation and essentially stole them from the dashers. Now it wasn't really stealing because it was written into their terms of service that so they can do whatever the hell they want, right? They are centrally controlled. The rules are whatever they say it is. Sucks to be a dasher. Compare that to the new structure. If Braintrust decided to change its fee structure, all the token holders would have to vote and it would have to happen on chain. It would be transparent. You'd be able to read the vote, read the change in the smart contract. Um, and so if, if, um, we've, if Braintrust voted to allow for tipping, great. That would be an upgrade to the smart contract. It would vote up or down. And then where do those tips go? Well, probably the version of the smart contract that passes is it goes to the user who, who the tip was directed at, not some cent, not one person or some central company. And so it's just, you know, when you have a user owned network, like we've been talking about the ownership economy, user owned economy, it's not possible for someone in a bad actor in the middle to just steal from everyone else like it is in the corporate structure. And so that those are the fun. That's why governance matters, right? Some people kind of joke, like, who cares about a governance token? What nobody vote like when you when you make your living on a network like DoorDash or BrainTrust, you care about the rules. You care about the fees and where they go. So that that's that's you know that's why governance matters. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay. Next, let's look under the hood. Talk about your technology stack and and any kind of important choices you might have had to make uh, early on. Yeah, for sure. We built BrainTrust on the Ethereum blockchain, which is you know the largest Turing complete blockchain in the world right now. Um, there are others now. I mean, Solana is sort of the notable other one now that that we would take a look at if we were just starting now. But we started out years ago, and you know back in 2018, 2019 when we were first building, you know Ethereum was kind of the only one, the only game in town. It was the biggest, had the most developers, had the most support for wallets, institutional custody, security, um, all of those things. And so um, that's you know that's where the majority of um, you know the the, the token, the voting, that kind of thing happens on Ethereum. How about key milestones? You've been incorporated for, what, three years now? Um, what are some of the key milestones that you've achieved along that journey? Yeah, sure. So Project was founded in 2018. Um, I wrote a token economic paper basically describing the user-owned economy. It was really a, an investment thesis. I was helping run um, a hedge fund that I helped start called Cambrian at the time. And I was actually looking to deploy capital into this uh, idea of, of user-owned economies. Um, and we didn't see any, so we decided to stand up brain trust as a as kind of a proof of concept. And then um, it turned into something that I was super passionate about. So I, I left my, my GP role at Cambrian and, and started working on brain trust full time. Um, raised a small seed round in November of 2018, uh, True Ventures, Homebrew, Galaxy Digital. And then in October 2020, um, did a, a Series A um, with a bunch more great investors, um, multi-coin 
and uh, Pantera and um, a, a bunch of others. Uh, and then in September of 2021, after we had a, we, we basically built the whole network off chain. So we wanted to build a real business with real token economics, but keep it off chain until, you know, keep it essentially centralized until it had a really strong flywheel spinning until we knew the value props were solid and, and everything was working. And then we just on September 21st of 2021 or September of 2021, we, um, swap the test token for a real token and hit mainnet. Uh, and then, um, you know, got listed on Coinbase shortly thereafter. Um, and then just the network just kind of continues to grow more enterprises joining and, and more talent joining. Awesome story. Let's talk about the marketplace. And I think you kind of held off right at the right spot. So when you're creating a marketplace, a two-sided marketplace, you need to get, you need to attract a critical mass, right, of sellers and buyers, uh, freelancers and enterprises. It looks kind of like a chicken and the egg problem, right? How do you get enough freelancers to support your enterprises? How do you get enough enterprises to supply the, uh, the freelancers with enough work? So how do you address this kind of critical mass problem? Oleg, this is the hardest part of building any two-sided marketplace is coming overcoming the chicken and egg or, or also known as cold start problem where you know it's where do you start so i'll tell you i've been doing this building these businesses my whole life and my whole adult life and um every category of marketplace has a different strategy for overcoming cold start when my in my first one e-commerce um i needed inventory supply so i went to like a hundred local stores here in san francisco and and got them to put some of their popular products onto my website and then started doing seo we, we were the first ones to do local seo and that's how we brought the demand and so that's how we overcame cold start um with doctor on demand we um staffed up in a couple of states with a couple of great doctors and then hit the dr phil show and then dr phil drove tons and tons of patients and then we scrambled and got much more many more doctors on and uh, rinse, repeat. Um, and, and before you know it, we had a, we had a big, you know, liquid marketplace there with brain trust. It was, um, relatively simple And the level of service with brain trust is much easier. Doctor on demand is an instant service. So it was really hard to like keep doctors on and free and then, and then hit the patients on the TV shows an excruciatingly difficult marketplace to build. Um, Brain trust was a little easier. We we started with the supply. So we put, you know, I, I basically recruited the first couple hundred talent myself, I've been a you know technical person and product person my my whole career, so you know I'm in that community and got lots of great freelancers on, and then we use those freelancers basically as merchandise to to draw in the Nestles and Porsches of the world. Those were our first two big clients, and then uh, then you ask the, the first 200 talent to to invite the next thousand, uh, and they screen them each other and bring their friends on, and then that brings on the next 10 clients and. Before you know it, you've got a, a nice flywheel running, and and you sprinkle a token in there, and that that tokens I think are meant to accelerate the speed and strength of a flywheel, right? So if, if you get if people get stuck at creating a profile because it takes an hour, you know maybe you have the software reward them some tokens uh, to, for completing the profile, um, and so tokens are are kind of a nice cheat code in in building two sided marketplaces. That's really interesting. I, I get just excited hearing the word token. You mentioned kind of uh, freelancers bringing in the next round of freelancers. Can you explain, uh, and I think you mentioned it before, who's vetting the freelancers? How does that work? Yeah, this this part's important because, you know, Braintrust is an enterprise-grade talent network. So, uh, you know, for, talent needs to be vetted and verified. Um, 
and so we vetted, you know, we, my my small core team and a few others vetted the you know the initial people. We kind of already knew them, so it was easy to vet. And then we then we built a community vetting system that now you know folks vet you know folks in the com- existing already vetted folks in the community actually earn tokens for vetting new people and and helping grow the network. So yeah, it's like this the the network is building itself. <laughs> you got it. That's exactly right. Oh man. Well, who's harder to attract? Hard, who's harder to attract? Is it the freelancers or the enterprises? <laughs> you know, we we always thought we would be because enterprise sales is hard, right? Selling into big companies, getting through procurement, legal, insurance, blah blah blah. It's hard work. Anyone who's who's done enterprise sales in tech knows how challenging it is, uh, especially in talent, right? It's like it's talent is just this like undifferentiated, you know, red ocean, right? It's just it's so hard. And so we were lucky. We, we found this Valprop where it's like, hey, we have the best talent because we don't charge any fees. We don't charge any fees because we're actually owned by the talent. That Valprop actually really hit home. And then COVID helped with you know everything being remote first. And so we went from being demand constrained to su- supply constrained pretty early in our in our life as a marketplace. So that that flipped probably in January of 2021. And um now there's essentially unlimited demand on brain trust and um uh you know so the supply is growing quickly um so the whole network in is in and of itself growing very quickly 22 24% month over month gsv growth uh but currently uh, talent constrained very interesting and how does it work for the enterprise side you know we've talked so much about the freelancers but if i am a enterprise organization you know i have needs uh in uh, this product team like how does it work logistically? What do they, uh, what do they see? Yeah, yeah. The co- the cool part is that you know this is a tokenized talent network that lives on Ethereum. The the clients don't need to interact with the blockchain. That was a key desi- design decision we made because it's still you know it's still non trivial to interact with blockchains, right? It's still a bit of a lift. Uh, there's still a lot of friction there, and and so you don't want to introduce. F- unneeded friction to enterprise clients who are just looking to find great talent and transact. And so all the jobs on Braintrust are still transacted in fiat. They're still paid for by, you know, US dollar, ACH or wire. Um, the token really comes in, you know, on the governance piece and a few other features, the academy, bid staking, et cetera. Um, so clients come on, they um, are onboarded by the software, and then usually they'll, they'll get um, an account manager. And um, uh, then the you know, the, they'll post a, a, a role that they need help with. Could either be, hey, just come join my staff as a PHP developer, or it could be, hey, we need to build something soup to nuts, and we want a team on Brain Trust. You know, it could be either, so project based or just a, a group of, of folks to, to plug in. And then the, the talent are notified, and uh, anyone who's got availability and interest will will propose, submit proposals, and. Um, this is actually one of the uses of the token. If you're in a competitive proposal environment and you want to stand out against, you know, if you're a talent member and you want to stand out against the competition, you could actually stake some tokens along with your proposal. That's essentially putting those tokens in escrow. And if, if you are awarded the job and end up doing a great job, you get those tokens back. If you are a no-show or a bad actor, you may lose those tokens. And so that shows the client, hey, I'm putting some skin in the game here and I'm serious about doing a good job. So that's a, a use case for the token to actually build your business as a freelancer more quickly by staking tokens along with proposals. That's something that's been, um, you know, the, the concept and implementation has been evolving uh, through our governance process over, over the last few months here. 
Okay, I want to talk about the the business model because you are a nonprofit, right? So, how do you, how does your business make money? And can you talk about this from your stakeholder perspective? Is it important for them that this makes money? Yeah. So again, back to the you know the different the different parties here. The users of Brain Trust are very for profit. The designers, engineers, developers, product managers, the little agencies that are in Brain Trust, all very much for profit. The Brain Trust marketplace itself is just software and a bunch of smart contracts, and so it is a nonprofit. Smart contracts don't need profit; they just connect buyer and seller and get out of the way. So that that's sort of the delineation there between nonprofit and profit entity. Okay, but you you raised money, right? You have a, a roster of crypto and traditional investors that backed Brain Trust. How do they make their return on their investment? Yeah, so they they bought tokens early on in the project's life, um, under the belief that those tokens, um, based on the token eco- economic design of Brain Trust, you know, could be valuable someday. Um, they won't be profit return mechanisms. There's no dividend again because there's no profit. Um, but imagine, you know, I liken I, I liken tokenized networks to the open source projects of Web One, like HTTP, which runs all websites, or or SMTP, which is the mail protocol. You know, those are those were nonprofit pro, um, uh, open source projects that no one made any money off of yet power the entire Internet. Now, blockchain mm-hmm. tokens take open source nonprofit projects and add a financial layer to them. Right. And sort of a an, a an economic layer. In, in our case, it's the voting mechanism. And so the value of that token is sort of like, hey, it's it's sort of it's directly related to the control of the network. And so we had some very forward-looking investors who were like, what if you could own a piece of a protocol that connects knowledge workers with clients? That could be interesting someday. Now, what's the valuation framework? What should that token be worth? Those are all sort of open debated questions. Um, but that was, you know, that that's, I think, the motivation the early uh, financiers of the project had. Okay, thank you for explaining it. I feel like I've been really slow to pick this up, but I, I'm not, starting to understand. Not at all. It. Like it, it's actually <laughs> like it's a really good question, and it's something that is um, still uh, this industry is still figuring out. You know, it's um, a lot of people just kind of speculate on tokens. They hope hope they'll go up in value. Um, utility tokens um, like ETH or or like Brain Trust, you know, have real value in, inside of a network. Um, you know, through their control mechanisms. So. Let's move to the closing section. To recap, uh, what's one thing about brain trust that you'd say really makes you stand out? I, I have my own thoughts, but yeah, let's hear from you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really like, it's kind of the theme we've been talking about today. It's the fact that it is completely controlled. Its future is completely controlled by the users that make their living on it, as opposed to a company trying to take as much money out of it as possible. Yeah, I was going to answer with it's the world's first user-owned network. I mean, are are there other people doing this? Are there other user-owned networks? You know, um, uh, uh, I would I would argue Ethereum and Bitcoin are user-owned networks because the thing about it, there is no Bitcoin Inc. There's no headquarters for Ethereum. <laughs> there's no you know there's there's miners on both those networks that are helping support the network, just like our talent and our connectors and our clients help support the brain trust network. Um, but the networks themselves, right. They're not, you know, they're not corporations. So they, they are by definition user owned in my mind. Uh, brain trust is, as, as I think a novel implementation for knowledge workers, right. For connecting, you know, knowledge workers with gigs. 
talk about some of your challenges as a founder. What's what? What are some of the challenges that uh, that keep you up at night? What are you What are you thinking about constantly? Well, well, like I'll tell you, the biggest challenge is telling the story in a succinct way, <laughs> which is why I'm very very happy to to do podcasts like yours. I think you know the long form, you know the way you're doing it, and and others in our space um, is a great way to tell this story. You can. It's, you have to tell it through analogies, which is why I have so many analogies up my sleeve. Um, but the biggest challenge we have is like getting this into like a bite-sized thing that you know normal normal folks can and understand and um, and get excited about, right? That that's that's our job here. Definitely. Well, we did the one-hour version today. We'll uh, maybe maybe think about doing a fifteen-minute podcast sometime down the line. Love it. <laughs> What's your last question here? Um, what's your best guess on the timing uh, for a better blockchain enabled future? When is this stuff going to really be here and in our hands and part of our daily lives? Well, um, you know, it's it's if you're a talent on brain trust making your living here today, it's in your life right now. Um, if you're Nike, it's it's in your life right now. Um, there's some article published a couple of weeks ago saying Nike is now in blockchain and they may not even know it referring to Nike being a client of brain trust. Um, and so, but look, we're still small, right? This is, you know, the, the network's doing tens of millions, you know, eventually hundreds of millions of dollars in gross service volume, um, a drop in the bucket compared to the $1.5 trillion of, of global IT outsource spend. So, um, mm. you know, the, the, the old, that's the old quote, right? The, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. I love that. Awesome. Well, before we get out of here, uh, Adam, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and, and maybe learn a little bit more about brain trust? Yeah, sure. Um, I am on Twitter at Adam Jackson SF and, uh, braintrust.com. Yeah, I'll plug the blog section. I, it really helped in preparing for this. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've learned a little bit about blockchain and, and how everything works. Um, so definitely check that out. All right, uh, we're going to end the show there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave us a rating. Uh, Adam, thank you for joining the show today. We appreciate your time, uh, your insights, and uh, this better future that you are building. Really enjoyed the discussion. Great, great, uh, great talking with you, Oleg. Thank you for having me.